with you. When I was in high school, one of my favorite classes was biology. And although I wasn't the top student by any means in my class, um, I studied hard and I had a, a good track record of doing well in school. So when the first exam of the year came around, I was feeling pretty confident, I, feeling like, you know, I've done well in tests before in my academic experience, and so I was, I was feeling pretty good about how it was going to turn out. And as I worked through the test, I felt better and better about it. There were no tricky questions. I was familiar with the questions. Perhaps you're, you're familiar with how that, that goes when you're, when you're seeing things that you've studied before, and it's, it's like, yeah, this is, this is great. This is a good experience. Um, and so I was feeling like maybe, I mean, pretty much I was like, I knew the answers to these questions, and maybe I might have aced this test. I was, I was feeling really confident about it. But when our teacher returned our tests, I looked over the grade that was given to me that I had earned. I was profoundly confused because the grade did not line up with my expectation. I thought I'd done really well, but as I looked over the pages of the test, there were these ugly red marks all over it indicating all of my wrong answers. It was the, the custom in the class to go through the questions after the exam, and I, I was sure that a mistake had been made. I mean, for sure, maybe he just got the answer key wrong, because I know I did so much better than this. But sure enough, at the end of that time of reviewing all of the, the questions, I had to face the fact that even though I thought that I knew all the answers, even though I had it all, I thought I had it all right, the reality was I was deeply mistaken. Although confidence in our knowledge and our ability, that can be a good thing. It can be good to, to be confident. The problem is, we, it's, it's not good to be too confident because we don't know everything. I know that's kind of an obvious observation, but if your experience is anything like mine, it's, it's possible for us to get in this mindset where we begin acting as if we know everything acting as if we, we have a, a greater understanding than what we actually do. And this is why God doesn't always give us what we ask for. If you've ever prayed a prayer and God didn't answer it, there's a reason for that. Because God, his perspective is so much greater. It's complete. And our perspective of reality can be very limited. Although we might think we, we know what we need and we go to God and say, God, please, I know that this, this has got to be your will that you give me. We might think we know what we need, the reality is we could be very well mistaken, deeply mistaken. It'd just be a terrible idea. And so God in his grace, he doesn't, he doesn't answer some of our prayers the way we ask. Now, I wish I could say that after taking that test in sophomore biology, that I have learned to be less confident in, in trusting my knowledge. But no matter how often I've been wrong, and there have been many times when I've been wrong since then, I still tend to have great faith in my own understanding, my, my idea of, of, of what is right. Thankfully, the Bible, it, God is so good to us, as he gives us a source of truth that is unfailing. He gives us something that we can put our confidence in, even though we might look at ourselves and, and say, man, I really want to be right. I want to believe what is right and prove that Prove that we are wrong time and time again. God gives us a way so we can know. 
what is right. We can know what is right. We have a desire for that. We want to know the truth. We want to know what is right. We want to be right. And God gives us a way to know what is right. And if we are willing to trust the one who knows everything, we can have that assurance that we are in the right. Last week, we started uh, this series called The Story of the Cross. And as we consider some of the outstanding moments in the events leading up to Jesus' death on the cross, what we're encouraging everyone to do in this, we have six weeks left here, we're encouraging everyone to be a part of a small group. And you can go to our website, uh, you can see it right there, the study guides for small groups. What we're doing is we're, each week, we are tailoring a study guide to the sermon, so that as you have an opportunity throughout the week to get together with other people, you can go through this study guide and just talk about the content of what we're going through here and how it applies to your life. Our goal is for us to have a safe place for everyone in our church family to have a safe place for authentic conversations where you can be real with one another. We can work through stuff in your life because if we're not working through those things, we're just pretending. We need to have these places where we can get encouragement uh, to, to be prayed with. Um, places where we can just be honest about how things are going in our life and not get a bunch of advice and told what to do, nothing like that, but to just be encouraged and supported in our spiritual life. We feel like that is really, really important. So I want to encourage you, um, if you're not part of a small group, to download the study guide and just get with a friend and, and go through it. As long as there's two, it's a small group, right? Um, but you can, there are other groups that you can join too, and if you're looking for that, reach out. We'll help you get connected. Today, the title of the message is Unstoppable Words. Unstoppable Words. And before we get into the Word of God, I'd like to pause for prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for promising us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for promising us to guide us into all truth. Lord, we need you to do that for us now. Uh, on our own, we are just profoundly confused and mistaken. And so I pray that we would have the courage to listen and that you'd give us ears to hear the words of life you're speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me to Matthew 26. We're going to be looking at verses 53 to 56. So in, in Matthew 26, Jesus' disciples are profoundly confused here. Throughout Jesus' ministry, the disciples saw this characteristic of his life that, that he, he just had this unstoppability, if that's a word. He was just an unstoppable presence. His ministry and, and his mission, it just seemed to be that nothing could stand in his way. Here's a few examples. On one occasion, uh, actually, actually several occasions, the religious leaders tried to put an end to his ministry. A couple of times they picked up rocks to stone him, and the Bible says that he hid himself and walked out of their presence. How did he do that? Seemed to be just unstoppable. On another occasion, they would try to uh, trip him up. Other occasions, they'd try to trip him up in his words. One time, the religious leader said, Teacher, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? To them, it seemed to be a brilliant question because regardless, in their opinion, regardless of how Jesus answered that, he was in trouble. If he said, yeah, we should go ahead and pay taxes, that's the law, then he would be upholding Roman oppression and the Jewish nation would be against him. If he said, no, we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, then he would be undermining the Roman authority and he would be punished. To them, they, they, they felt like they had him trapped. But to their amazement, Jesus holds, holds up a Roman coin and he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. They were silenced. 
They could not stop his wisdom. One evening, another occasion, Jesus was asleep in a small fishing boat crossing the Sea of Galilee when a violent storm came up. Suddenly waves were washing over the side of the boat and the disciples thought they were sure that they were going to drown. And in desperation, they, they started to just look for whatever they could—a a lightning flash. And, and, and they see that Jesus is there in the boat. They wake him up and calmly, in this, in this, t- t- this storm, this raging chaos that's happening all around, Jesus stands up calmly. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and immediately everything— is still. Unstoppable word of Jesus. On multiple occasions, people brought brought demon-possessed individuals to Jesus. And no matter how powerful these demons were, not once did Jesus fail to cast the demon out. Unstoppable. Then shortly before this night that we read about in Matthew 26, Jesus' friend Lazarus had been dead for four days, and Jesus called his friend back to life. Not even death could stop the word of God spoken through Jesus. Miracle working power. After seeing all this, the disciples were sure that, that Jesus was, was going to establish his earthly kingdom here, that nothing could stop him from doing that. And yet, when this angry mob led by the religious leaders here in Matthew 26 comes to arrest Jesus, strangely, Jesus does not save himself. He does not resist this mob that comes to arrest him. In response to this mob coming, the Bible tells us here that Peter, John's gospel tells us that Peter pulls out his sword, and perhaps he was feeling unstoppable in this moment because he's ready to take on this whole crowd, this armed mob. Peter's ready to take them on. But to his great surprise, Jesus corrects him. He says, Peter, you don't have the right answer. Violence is not the correct answer. Calmly, Jesus explains in verse 53 of Matthew 26, he says, don't you think that I can call upon my Father right now and he won't give us 12 legions of angels? Now, a legion is 6,000. And Jesus is saying, all it would take is, is a word from me. And we would have 72,000 angels. I mean, if 6,000 was not enough, obviously it would have been enough to to cover them. They they would have been just fine with one angel. But Jesus says, I have the command of the hosts of heaven. And I could call upon my Father right now. He could send a legion for each one of us. There were 12 of them there. Then in verse 54, Jesus tells his disciples why he is letting himself be arrested. Look at what it says. Jesus says, But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Listen to the language there. This must happen. There's an unstoppable truth that is at work here. This must play out in this way. And Jesus didn't just want his disciples to be aware of this truth. Jesus turns to the entire crowd in verse 55. It says, At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion? That you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. What a cutting rebuke to the Pharisees, exposing their hypocrisy. They had multiple opportunities. If he was really uh, teaching something that was incorrect, they had multiple opportunities to arrest him. Jesus said, Why didn't you arrest me? But verse 56 tells us, But this has all taken place 
that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Something powerful about the words of Scripture. Jesus had the power to save himself, but he didn't because it was not scripted that way in the Bible. Jesus did not save himself because the Bible says it was going to happen this way, that he would be crucified. Now, when people come to the end of their lives, they start to talk about what matters most. I mean, this really becomes clear when someone is, is just moments before death. They want to talk about the most important things, right? This is where we hear people's famous last words. They're not talking about, oh, I wish I could just go and, you know, I, I need to just go and, and, and buy some clothes. They're not saying those things, usually, at the end of their lives. They're not talking about getting more education, or they're not saying, oh, I just want to go work more hours at the office right now. They're not saying that. When someone is about to die, they know that time is short, and so every moment counts. They, they want to talk about the things that are most important. As Jesus here is being arrested, he knows that his death is imminent. This may be the last opportunity he has to address the crowd, to address even his disciples before his death. His, his time is short. And what is he talking about? What is, what is most important to Jesus? What is what is what is on the, on, the t- on the very forefront of his thinking, nearest and dearest to his heart, he's saying, I want to tell you about the Bible. This is what the Bible talked about. He's talking about the Bible. That, that is what he's going to hear just before he is arrested. He's saying this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not saying this is happening because I think this is the best thing to take place right now. Jesus is not referring to his opinion. More important than human reasoning is the words of the Bible, even to Jesus. Man, I think that is a real rebuke. Here I am talking about my own thinking, but this is a real rebuke to me. How often do I look to myself? Perhaps how often do you look to yourself rather than relying upon the words of the Bible? If Jesus lived his life in submission to the authority of the Bible, who are we to trust in our own thinking? What am I doing trusting in my own thinking if Jesus himself trusted in the Bible even more than in his own thoughts? When Jesus said, the writings must be fulfilled, he was essentially saying that the words of the Bible, God's word, is unstoppable. It must happen. Look at what it says in Matthew 26, 31. Here Jesus is referring to a prophecy tucked away in this little book in the Old Testament called Zechariah. And there in Zechariah, Jesus pulls out a prophecy saying, this is what is, taking pl- is about to take place right now. He addresses the disciples in verse 31. He says, you will all fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's quoting the prophet Zechariah. Notice that that Jesus did not make the disciples leave him. This This was not an event that Jesus was controlling. He was not saying, okay, now it's time for you guys to go. He did not make the mob come and arrest him. He did not manipulate the Jews in some way so that they would crucify him or the or or the Romans uh, so they would they would put him to death. All these things happened, Jesus is saying, because God had spoken it. 
and nothing could stop God's word from being fulfilled. Although people, you and I, we might act as if we don't need God's word at some times, the truth is, is that we owe our very existence to the word of God. It's not like God's word is, is just something that, oh, okay, we're, we're just going to read it because that's, that's what we should do and we can kind of go along our way. Our existence, we owe our very existence to the word of God. Because God spoke, we have light. Because God spoke, we have food. Because God spoke, we have the beauty of nature all around us. When God spoke, he made sun and moon and stars. God spoke even the air that we breathe into existence. So when God speaks, we don't have to wonder whether it's true or not. Like when we read something in the Bible, say, man, can I really trust that? God's word is is what creates our reality. Everything that God says is true because God's word has this unique characteristic that it calls into existence that which it says. We can trust it. Because of the power of God's word, he speaks of future events. We'll look at an example of this. Just say He speaks of future events as if they already took place. That's how certain, that's how capable God's word is. Here's one example. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. We have an example of this. This is a really famous passage of scripture. But notice that Isaiah the prophet, keep this in mind as you read this, that Isaiah the prophet lived 700 years before Jesus was born. And this is what he says about the Messiah. Listen to the words. But he was pierced. Remember, he's talking about a future event. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Let the word of God speak to you now. By his wounds you are right now healed from all of the, all of the stuff that sin, all, all, all of the, the damage that sin causes in our lives. You are healed. And the people in the Old Testament could claim that too. Why? Because God's word is so certain that he can speak of a future event in past tense. That's how certain the cross was. And the wonderful thing about God's word is that it's not done speaking. It's not just speaking to the people in the past. It's speaking to us today. It's speaking to you it says things like what we find in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where Jesus says, Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Anyone tired? Anyone overwhelmed with what life is bringing you right now? Jesus says, Come, and I will give you rest. It is certain. It is true. He says in 1 John 1, 9, If you have sinned, confess your sins, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If anyone is thirsty, Jesus says in John chapter 7, if anyone longs to have the Spirit of God in their life, if you want to have the characteristics of God in your heart, if you're thirsty, Jesus says, Come, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It's the spiritual experience he was talking about there. And it says things like in in Revelation 3.20, 
Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. And if anyone opens the door, it doesn't matter how cluttered things are. It doesn't matter how broken you are. If anyone opens the door, Jesus will come in. He's not offended. He's not disgusted by the smell or the mess. He comes in and he will live with you. And he, it goes on to say that he will help you overcome just as he overcame. He will sit you on his throne. This is our reality. These are promises to you. It it doesn't matter what you've done or or, or how you've lived. The truth is what God's word says will take place in your life if you receive it. Why? Because God's word is unstoppable. Uh, Recently, uh, a a friend of mine, he asked me if I would, if I would like to drive his BMW, I think it was an M550i, not, not real familiar with all the you know, different models of BMW, but it, but it was a beautiful car, amazing car. He had just, just purchased it, and although it was technically a sedan, this car had over 500 horsepower. Um, yeah, that just makes me smile, yeah. Uh, when, when the car turns on, it, it just, like, it just growls. I mean, there is just something under that hood that is powerful, and I felt a little nervous about taking him up on his offer because it was a spotless car and I didn't want to be, you know, one to put a scratch on it. But it was just an opportunity I couldn't resist. And so, uh, so I got in the, in, in the driver's seat and he was there in the passenger seat. And, you know, I, I drove it carefully out of the neighborhood. But we came to this place where I had an opportunity to get on the freeway. And he said, go ahead and see what it'll do. So I, so I put the accelerator down. <laughs> And this thing, it's just like it, it lowered and it grabbed onto the pavement and it just jumped off of where we were at. It just took off, threw us back in our seats. And it was like we had just went to the top of the food chain on the road that day. We, it was just an incredible experience. And I just remember feeling giddy. Why? Because there was so much power there. You know, power is, it calls our attention. It's amazing to be in, in that place where, where there's power right? And as amazing as that, th- as, th- as that was, I mean, to even make the comparison, there's no comparison to the Bible. The Bible is far more powerful. God's word is far more powerful than that. And yet I have to look at my life and think, there are, there are often times when I don't want to spend time with it. There are times when I think, I, I don't need this, that, that I've got it covered, that maybe I have enough power in my own resources to handle what's, what's going on. And although we have access to the Bible in so many different ways, often, often, it is not a part of our life as it deserves to be. Is that true? God has power for us. And yet we can not want it. We can, we can avoid it. And especially, we can especially avoid this powerful word. We can especially avoid it when it tells us things that we don't want to hear. I mean, look, prime example. This is not a new thing, people avoiding the Bible. Look what it or, or, or the Word of God. Look what it says uh, in verse 56. It says, Then, after Jesus just said, This is all taking place because the prophets said it would take place. It is written, Jesus said. This is why I'm being arrested. This is why I'm going along with this. This is why I'm going to be crucified, because it is written in the Bible. The disciples did not like that, and at the end of verse 56, it says, then all of the disciples deserted him and fled. When the Bible said something that they did not want to accept, they ran away. 
I can't blame them. I know I've been that guy. I've been that person. Says something, I'm like, well, let's think about this. Well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe there's another interpretation here that I'm just missing, right? Often the Bible says things that I don't like because the Bible is not written to please our selfish nature. The Bible is written to save us from it. They took off when it, didn't, when it said something they didn't like. And ironically, in taking off, they fulfilled the very words that Jesus just quoted to them that were written by the prophet Zechariah over 500 years earlier, that the shepherd would be struck and that the sheep would be scattered. When we are in the way of an unstoppable force, such as a storm, we have two basic options. We can either go with it willingly or we can go fighting. But stopping it is not an option. You cannot avoid an unstoppable force. You cannot avoid being affected by it. Isaiah 55 gives the example of a storm. And it compares it with the word of God. It says that just as the rain and the snow come down, as as often happens here in, in beautiful Oregon, just as the rain and the snow come down to the earth and do not return without accomplishing what God sends it to do. It sends it He sends the rain and the snow to water the earth, to make it flourish, the Bible says, to make it thrive. He says, in the same way, my word which goes forth from my mouth, it will accomplish what I send it to do. It will not return void. That is the Bible. That is the word of God. It is unstoppable. It accomplishes what God sends it to go do. And instead of fighting against it, Jesus accepted it willingly, Even though it was excruciating, even though it meant going to the cross, he accepted it, and the word of God carried him all the way through. The word of God sustained him to make this incredible sacrifice so that you and I could have life. And it was the word of God that brought him back to life, too. Because of God's word, Jesus overcame sin. He overcame death. He overcame the grave. And now he lives for us forever. This is how Jesus aced every test that came his way. He trusted in God's word. He trusted in the words of the prophets. He trusted in the Bible. As a human, he was unstoppable because he lived in submission to the unstoppable word of God. And this is the same privilege that you and I have today. It is a privilege. Trusting in the Bible, listen, it is difficult. If you submit to the Bible as the authority of your life, you will face hard times. You will face resistance, maybe even persecution. Maybe even it will cost you your life. But no matter how difficult life might get, God's word can be trusted because in the end, it will see you through just as it saw Jesus through. It'll see you through to eternal life. In the word of God, we find life, eternal life, spiritual life. Naturally, we would all, I'm sure, we would all rather just depend upon ourselves. I mean, just do what is right in the immediate moment, what we think is right. That just comes naturally to us. We would rather do that. But if we follow Jesus, trusting the Bible as he did, we can have no doubt that we will pass every test that comes our way. You can be confident in him, confident in his truth. 
because he has promised it. His word is unstoppable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for creating life with your word, and thank you for giving us your word, your promises, by which we can become partakers of the divine nature. You change us and make us like you through your word. God, forgive me, forgive my church family for neglecting it, for not giving it the place of of, of importance that Jesus gave to the Bible, for not submitting our life to it as an authority in every way. Forgive us, God, and, and may we grow. May we grow in trusting your word. You give us no reason to doubt it, but may we, go, may we grow in trusting. May we prove its principles are true for us. Thank you, God, for speaking to us. May we have ears to hear and a heart to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.